0: Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina.
1: Welcome back to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone to break down the Dobbs decision is Imani Gandhi from Rewire News. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 feel, I feel the same way. Exhausted on a lot of levels. It's like exhausted down to like, my fibers, um, like whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the, my the cells, cellular, the level. Fibula- yeah. cellular level, that's it. Um, so I wanted to start actually by talking about how close this decision was to the draft opinion. That's actually my first question is, was the decision that we actually got on Friday the same as the draft opinion? It was written by Alito, um, um, but that was my first question. Yeah, I mean I haven't gone through and done like a red line you know a
0: word for word but it's mostly the same. Yeah. Certainly the, the 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 thrust of it is the same. It's about as mean spirited as the draft was. Um it's about as ungrounded in facts and law as the draft was. So I think it's pretty it's pretty much the same the only the the big difference that I found in reading the opinion I haven't even finished reading it yet because you know it's very long
1: 200 it's very very long long, and the day that the
0: court tells you that you're not a real person is not exactly the time you want to sit down and read why (laughs) yeah
1: it's
0: (laughs) like exactly um, how you want to
1: spend your weekend in the summer
0: exactly so I read Sonia Sotomayor's dissent first and I've already read that twice and that's where i that that's what i'm going to tell people that they should read if they want to know where we're going if we Mm. want to know what the rule of law is supposed to be and that's not even from the standpoint of someone who supports abortion rights and who believes that abortion is a human right but just from a on a from a legal analysis standpoint there was no reason for the court to have done what it did from i mean they they took they answered a question that wasn't asked in the petition for cert, right? We have to remember that when Mississippi filed its cert petition, it only asked whether or not its 15-week ban was constitutional under current law. And at the time, that current law was Rowan Casey. It wasn't until Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and Amy Coney Barrett ascended to the court, that Mississippi changed entirely the nature of its appeal and said, just kidding, we're not asking for an analysis under current law. We want you to overturn Roe and Casey. Mm -hmm. And the court said, okay, that's fine. That is so unusual. I mean, if you're talking about overturning precedent generally, you have to ask the court specifically to do that in your petition for cert. When you're talking about ending a case, overturning a case like Roe versus Wade, and that wasn't the question that was presented to the court and the court went ahead and did it anyway, it shows you how little Mm. respect this court has for for its own rules of civil procedure, how little respect it has for the institution that the Supreme Court is, and how little respect it has for the rule of law. Because quite frankly, when you look at the sort of nuts and bolts of the analysis you're supposed to do when you overturn precedent, Dobbs did not meet that standard, right? When you overturn precedent, what you're trying to do is you're trying to correct a constitutional precept or principle based on changed facts and law. Between 1973 and 2022, nothing has changed about abortion. The majority would like you to think that it's such a difficult question and it was egregiously wrong when it was decided and the people should decide. But people decided, right? And right. they elected these people who appointed these Republican justices who upheld the right to an abortion. That was the people deciding. And then what happened? For 50 years, the people relied on that decision. They were given a constitutional right. And people in this country relied on that decision. When you have that level of reliance, it automatically militates against overturning that precedent, right? The court didn't need the court made such short shrift of any analysis of what this effect would have on women and pregnant people in this country that it was insulting. I think Alito said something about how it was nothing but, uh, God, what were his words? He he basically said that people were being hysterical, essentially Mm -hmm. was what he said. And if you look at what the court said in Casey, the court went through all of the sort of moral and religious and personal Sort of political issues that people have with abortion and decided that it wasn't for the government to say right up until the point of pregnancy you cannot have an abortion so what they did is they 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 made up a test they did a balancing test and they said the state has an interest up until this point and then the, the pregnant person has an interest at that point thereafter but the state can still regulate it. The state had its hand in every person's pregnancy all the way through throughout the whole thing. But right. it's just that the the regulations had to be reasonable, quote unquote. They had to not impose a substantial burden. Right. And what's so frustrating, I know I'm just babbling, but what's so frustrating about the majority is that it seems to think that the sort of balancing test that arose out of Rowan and Casey was just bizarre and weird and it was unworkable and the courts didn't know what to do. That's just simply not true. Right? Courts knew what to do. Courts knew what the standard was. Courts balance things all the time, right? You're constantly right. balancing one right against another, one principle against another to come up with a solution. The, the 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 idea that this court believed that prior Supreme Court justices hadn't wrestled with these issues, <laughs> it's just lunacy to me. I mean, you would think you would think it was just seven women who sat on the court in 1973 and decided, like, yeah, we should all get abortions. It was seven Republican judges, justices, right? So it's, just, it's not just that we had this fundamental right taken away from us. We had it taken away under the flimsiest of reasoning. And it's extremely frustrating, the glee with which this, this opinion has been received by people who know that it's not grounded in law. right? They know that it was a purely political outcome determinative decision. And how do we know that? Because we knew it was coming for a year. When, when the court refused to overturn or to, to enjoin the Texas Bounty Hunter Law, the court was telling us, we're, we're getting rid of Roe versus Wade. We're just not telling you why yet.
1: And on Friday, the court told us why. And the reason why was crap, if you ask me. I mean, let, let's sort of talk through some of, some of the reasons that Aliro presented. I mean, he, he certainly, I mean, in the draft opinion, one of the things that stood out to me is, you know, they sort of work from the premise that like abortion is bad. That like it's this horrible thing, and everybody's in agreement that this is this like very distasteful, horrible thing, and and we're gonna work from there. And I just like that's not that's not where we start. (laughs) Like the conversation, like I just it's just not the appropriate premise. So can you talk about? He starts from that premise, and where does he go? I mean, how does he get us to half of the population is not aren't full people?
0: I well, I mean. Through nonsense, essentially, right? <laughs> I mean, if you read Sonia Sotomayor's opinion, it's just so great the way that she just she just knocks down all of the arguments that everyone in the majority made. I mean, just then also Kavanaugh's concurrence. But essentially, you know, Alito wants to Alito wants to look at what the rights what rights existed in eighteen sixty eight, which, as you and I know, is ridiculous, right? Because you know the Constitution and even the amendments to the Constitution, like we can't. We can't look at the document that was created by slavers by people who thought owning owning people was a good thing to do and expect those people to have predicted what our rights should have been for hundreds of years in the future that's a that's an absurd proposition but even if you take alito at his word that we need to focus on these historical traditions and going back to when the 14th amendment was enacted however many states he says a third or 33 or what what have you states had criminalized abortion that's not really true in this entirety. There were some states that had criminalized abortion up to the point of quickening. There were other states that criminalized the methods of abortion that were being used, but there really wasn't this moral sort of outrage over the question of abortion the way there is now. It just simply, frankly, men didn't care. Right, it was lady business. Men didn't decide they care decided they care about you know lady business until you know the 19th century when doctors thought, hey, wait a minute, this is big business, and we're letting these witch doctor woo woo women take care of themselves, and that can't be. So we need to step in. So this idea that there were, poor, you know, that there was an active quote unquote pro life community in the 19th century is just patently absurd. Um, but even if that even if that weren't the case. You know, the originalism of the the conservatives on the court is so flimsy that it allowed them to say on, what, Thursday, that issues, that these sorts of constitutional issues cannot be left up to states to decide, and therefore we have to uh, overturn New York's gun regulations, to Friday saying that these sorts of constitutional issues have to be (laughs) sent back to the states, and the federal government can't decide. So which is it? It
1: cannot be both. Right. No, it really um, can't be both. That was, that was, it can't, kind of it can't the, be both. The ultimate insult was right the day before. Um, I mean, it's just like, really, you guys have to drop the decision the day before <laughs> just to make it, right. make it really clear um, that you have no um, consistency in your logic. One of the other things that I, I, I think a lot about is why. Um, why they can base their their argument in textualism, um, which I don't think is a thing. Like I I I, I really as a black woman have a a trouble with this idea that I'm supposed to abide by the original text of a document that clearly was not written. it's like, it's like ten pages. Of course it couldn't, it wasn't supposed to apply 300 years later, exactly the words that they wrote down. That was the whole point. They had a whole debate over what to put in the 10 pages because they understood that it was going to live longer. And so they had Mm -hmm. to like talk through all of the implications, what to include and what to not. And of course, um, we, we are not going to, um, have every single thing worked, every single legal nuance worked through every single question worked through, um, that could come up 300 years, years later. Um, that right. wouldn't make sense. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. That's why I reject it full like full stop. Um, but speak to this idea that they're grounding this, this idea in textualism. But okay, so let's do that. How is this not a blatant violation of the 13th Amendment forcing people to give birth or forcing people to do something with their body that they don't want to do against their will, like forcing labor? How is it not a 13th Amendment Like a flagrant violation of the Thirteenth Amendment.
0: It is, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know what they call it? You call it going into labor. (laughs) You know, it's it's, the word is right there. The text is right there. So yeah, this again, you know, there's a slight difference between originalism and textualism, which is why conservative constitutional, you know jurisprudence is so frustrating because they talk about textualism primarily when it comes to yes reading the text of the constitution but also when it comes to just reading statutes or amendments they want to hew very closely to the text they don't want to stray too far away from it unless they don't like the statute right in which case then they have to go and they have to go into you know the congressional record and figure out what people what the senators were saying in 1868 I mean the the game is it's outcome determinative. And you can throw around words like originalism and textualism and pretend as if they are principles to which you, to which you uh, principles that you hold, but really you, you are able to finagle them to mean and to accomplish whatever you want them to accomplish. And that's, and that's what this decision is. It is an outcome and then a reverse engineering of, of
1: law in order to get to that outcome. So let's talk about the dissent, no. But before we go to the dissent, because we already sort of mentioned it, let's talk about Clarence Thomas's concurring opinion. Let's go in order. Okay. <laughs> um, let's go in order. Um, because part of the warning from, from many legal experts who read the draft opinion was, it's not just about abortion rights. It's not just about reproductive freedom. There are other rights that this rationale could be uh, utilized to also take away. So let's go through that. Let's talk about the implications of Clarence Thomas's decision and what what it means for gay rights, the right to... Um, marry who you want, interracial marriage, um, and and down the line, how bad is it going to be?
0: It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad because Roe versus Wade, and you know, it, Roe versus Wade is about privacy. It was grounded in the right to privacy, and so many of the rights that people hold dear are grounded in this right to privacy. This right that you have a zone of privacy, the government can't enter it. The government can't tell you what to do, and that is, I like to talk about. These rights, these privacy rights, sort of as the ways in which people make family, families, familial relationships, right? So who you marry the children you have, whether you have children, how you parent your children, homeschooling mm-hmm. your children is a privacy right. All of these things are under the gun. And that is because this court does not believe in substantive due process rights because the constitution doesn't say substantive due process anywhere. It doesn't say right to privacy anywhere. It doesn't say penumbras, you know, conservative mm-hmm. uh, legal sc- scholars love to make fun of Griswold's emanation of penumbras from the 14th mm-hmm. amendment. But it, it, so all of these rights flow from this idea that you have a right to privacy. And once the court has said, no, actually you don't, your body belongs to the state at least for these nine or 10 months, then all of the decisions that flow from that are at risk, and that means Obergefell, same-sex marriage. That means Griswold v. Connecticut, um, birth control for married people. That means Eisenstadt v. Baird, birth control for single people. And while Thomas didn't mention Loving v. Virginia because you know he's in an interracial marriage himself, there are Republican po- politicians who have who have called for that, who have raised that specter. So. And what's also interesting, and what Sonia Sotomayor was really great about pointing out, is that the majority kept trying to say, oh, you know, what we're saying here doesn't have anything to do with any of the associated rights, the quote-unquote associated rights, meaning same-sex marriage, interracial marriage, contraception, et cetera. And then here comes Thomas,
1: Thomas with his saying, no, wait a minute, no, we are saying something about those rights. Oh, wait, I'm losing your sound. You're walking away. It sounds like you're oh, walking sorry. away from me. I no, it's okay. No, <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. Get water. To get we need water.
0: hydrated. <laughs> right. So, so the majority says, you know, we're not going to go after these associated rights. And then in his concurrence, Thomas says, no, no, we are actually going after these associated rights. Same-sex marriage, contraception. He doesn't mention interracial marriage. But what's interesting about his opinion is that he, you know, there's a, there's a wedge in this coalition of six, right? Mm. Because there are some... Some of the conservatives just wanted to get rid of abortion, but they know that it's not popular. And I don't think they're really sort of gunning for Griswold contraception and same-sex marriage the way Thomas is. Or maybe they are, but they're just willing to hold their cards a little bit closer to the chest. Thomas is not, he's not messing around. He's outright saying essentially nobody should have rights except for the rights that people had in the 19th century. And for that sort of sentiment to come from a Black man is just wild to me. Um, But yeah, his opinion is really dangerous. And if you want to know where conservatives want to go, that's where they want to go. You know, with Thomas and his wife, who happens to be the 10th justice, you know, this is their
1: plan for this country. I mean, what's scary about it is thinking about the fact that, um, you know, we're currently, I mean, up to last week, we were learning about the president's attempted coup to overturn the election in 2020, of which... One of the justices in this majority opinion's wife might have participated, allegedly, and right. these are the people that are taking away rights. I mean, like it just feels the legitimacy of the whole thing just feels doesn't feel legitimate. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it just, it yeah. Doesn't feel I mean, like this is it shouldn't it, it it feels fundamentally wrong that Clarence Thomas and Brett Kavanaugh, who have credibly been accused of sexual assault or at least violating. The bodily autonomy of another person, the dignity of another person, credibly accused. They're the ones making the decision about my bodily autonomy now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And they're doing it in the most disingenuous ways, right? Brett, I mean, as as loathsome as Thomas is, at least Thomas is up front about what he wants to do and where he wants this country to go, and he has been so for decades. Brett Kavanaugh is a worm. He actually had the nerve to suggest in his concurrence that, quote unquote, returning this issue to the states is a position of neutrality. But as Sonia Sotomayor pointed out in her dissent, that's absolute nonsense. There's no neutral principle here. Removing a fundamental right from an entire, from half the population of this country is not a reset right? You're not resetting the board so that you can then move forward with whatever abortion rights you want to. You have removed a fundamental right. You have upended the board. And by trying to couch it as something that was just a neutral proposition, it's really devious and nefarious in a way that I think only Brett Kavanaugh knows how to be. Because the man is not particularly smart. So he's just out there trying to pave this middle road for himself. I really do think he's trying to. Make it seem as if he's going to be the next anthony kennedy or something but he's not smart enough to be number one and number two removing a fundamental right from a person is not a neutral proposition that's an aggressive proposition and i just it's just hard to read you know the words of as you said the words of two men who've been credibly accused of sexual assault and they're telling you know rape victims and incest victims and children you know the american pediatric society or whatever that organization is had to come out with a statement about what pregnancy to children does about what it does to children when you force them to give birth that's where we are we're talking about 12 year olds not even teenagers giving birth to children you know that were that were conceived by a rape and incest it's 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 horrifying it's horrifying
1: I no i mean i think like you know so many people think that this is theoretical, and I think it's the moment that it becomes super real um, when people start processing that, and they're like, oh, my God, what the hell just happened? Yeah, what the hell just happened? All the all the feminists that were yelling about this for the last 15 years, at least, well, at least since 2010, mm-hmm. when it was pretty clear that this was this was what they were trying to do. They were just going to stack the court in order to do it. I, my first conversation when I met Samita Mukhopadhyay, who is now my best friend, one of our very first conversations— swear to God, hand, hand to God, was about trap laws. She was. We were talking mm-hmm. about how the strategy is to basically make abortion inaccessible because they don't want to overturn Roe v. Wade yet because they don't have the majority in the Supreme Court. They're going to try to get it, and then they're going to take it away. That, I mean, we talked literally about this in 2010. <laughs> so yeah. um, this this was a predictable... but also something that will have um, an unquestionable and harmful impact on so many different communities going forward and so thank you Amani, for for waking up early with us and talking us through this we really appreciate it stay safe and sane out there even though it's kind of (laughs) difficult it's kind of difficult (laughs) Um, thank you so much Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.